throw illegally any of these signs that are in front of you today, uh, but that the, the street department in Huron here was so gracious to let us borrow them for a few weeks. Well, we talked about uh, a series that I've called Living in God's Will. And I've likened um, living in God's will to following road signs. You know, as we're in the midst of summer vacation and travel time, um, when we travel into areas we've never been before, you know, now that we have GPS, we can follow that, but we do have to pay attention very closely to the signs. And uh, knowing God's will is very similar to that. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14 is the chapters that we've been in, and uh, we've been encouraging everyone to read those each week. Um, I know that sometimes we think, well, I already read it once, or I already thought about it, but continuing to put those things uh, in our hearts and minds. And so we've looked at all of Romans chapter 13. Uh, we kind of started there, and then we worked our way back. Uh, last week, we talked about staying sober, uh, not from alcoholic drink, but in our view of ourselves. And the first thing that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, after he says that we've been made, made new creations in Jesus Christ, we've been transformed, the very first thing he talks about is our connection to the body of Christ. Uh, in our American Christianity and culture, that's really one of the last things we want to talk about. We want to serve God. We don't mind serving God, but let me do it on my terms. Let me do it by myself. You know, I don't need this connection with the uh, flesh and blood, blood body of Christ. I can just be a member of whatever church, any church. I can watch church on the internet. Uh, all of these things that are ultimately true, but our, our faith is worked out best in the local church, in the body of believers. And so uh, we looked at that last week and we built Legos together. Uh, if you weren't here, you can go to the podcast and watch that. I may even have extra Legos that I could give to you if you want those. But today we're gonna just talk about driving tips. Uh, driving tips. And I'm not sure how many of us like to get tips about our driving. Uh, I'm sure from time to time we do, whether it's from our spouse or from our kids, we get told whether or not uh, we're driving at the right speed or whether we're driving uh, in the right manner or uh, whatever the tip may be. And uh, we get them from time to time and we may not want them, but these tips come from the author of the universe who is perfect and and all-knowing and all-wise, so these tips we should want, even if uh, we don't like to be told what to do. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So we would do well to pay attention to these tips. Um, if I get pulled over as I pass this sign over here that says speed limit 25, uh, going 45, and I tell the officer, but you know, officer, I really felt like the speed limit was 45. That's not gonna work because it's posted 25. And I have to abide by that. And so sometimes as believers, we think, well, you know, I think the Bible says something like this. And we live in a day where we're, we're beginning to see this more and more, where, well, I think the Bible says something like this. Or, you know, I know the Bible says this, but I feel like God is bigger than that. He is, but this is how he's revealed himself to us. And so how he's revealed himself to us is what he wants us to know. And if we don't follow the posted signs, he's not gonna give us more. I love the word today that if you're faithful in little, you'll get more. And some of us are seeking God's will for something more, and we're not even following what he's given us that's little. And so more isn't coming until we do that. Now, 
just because you have a driver's license, I don't have mine with me actually, but if you had your driver's license, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, you actually know the laws or the rules of the road. In fact, when I was in Bible college, I went with Christy, uh, who was a resident of North Dakota. We had to go up to Jamestown and uh, she had to get her driver's license renewed. Well, I was from Pennsylvania and uh, we were going to be getting married that summer. And, you know, I just thought, well, maybe I'll just renew or I'll just change my license over to North Dakota. So I asked them, you know, what do I got to do to do this? And they said, well, you just have to pass the written exam. Okay. <laughs> yep. So uh, there I am in the little room with the computer and uh, I'm taking the, I didn't pass the written exam. And so I couldn't change my driver's license to North Dakota. Praise God for South Dakota, where all you got to do is sign a form and you, get, you can transfer over. You don't have to take the test again. Um, but, it, you know, it sometimes goes to show that just because we pass the test once, and I'm a great test taker, so I can memorize the stuff for the test, but then really not remember a lot of it maybe a half hour after the test. And many of us live our Christian lives that way. We think, you know, as long as I know the answer for the test... You know, it doesn't matter if I apply it. Or I read the Bible, you know, yesterday, so I don't need to read it again. But what does Scripture say? We live by every word that proceeds, present tense, from the mouth of God. And we're going to get ourselves in trouble if we don't continually renew our minds with the word. And that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about. We've been given new life in Christ, guaranteed it comes through the cross. But if you're not having your mind renewed daily through study of the word, you're, gonna, you're not going to make it in the last days. Jesus talks about a deception so strong that it could deceive even the elect, if that were possible. And so if that type of deception is gonna come on the world, world, we need to be people of the word even more. And so as we've been looking at Romans chapter 12, we're gonna finish Romans chapter 12 today and uh, hopefully we'll do it in a decent amount of time and I won't be like the Apostle Paul and preach all night and uh, luckily there's no windows that you can fall out of but uh, we'll just, we'll go where we go. But Romans chapter 12, we're gonna start in verse number nine. This is where we left off last week. Um, This is what I call driving tips. Okay, these are golden nuggets. They're whatever you wanna call them but it's like the Apostle Paul gives us like 20 things in just a matter of 20 verses, or just a matter of 12 verses here. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And so again, Holy Spirit, help us as we study your word today to conform our lives to the truth of your word. We pray it now in Jesus' name, amen. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says that we can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Not just the good will, but the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. There are going to be things in this earth that we look at as human beings and think they're good, but they're not God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. And we've got to be sure that we're living our lives according to his word so that we can walk in this new life that he has called us to walk into. And when we come into this new life, okay, the new life in Christ is not just a cleaned up version or a slightly modified version of the old one. We're reborn. It's completely new. You know, if you look at uh, Tiger Woods, and Tiger, if you know, if you follow golf at all, had to relearn his golf swing. I mean, you would think that he was okay. I mean, when you watched him in the Masters back in whatever, 96 or 97, you would think, why did he need to relearn his swing? I mean, he won by double-digit strokes. It's just like, but he, he wanted to be better. And his golf coach said, you know what? There's some errors in your swing. And in order to tweak them, we got to start over. We got to go all the way back to the beginning and start again. And you notice he took a dive. And he, it's like he got worse before he got better. I just had a chance to attend a coaching clinic up in Aberdeen this week, and I sat in on a class about hurdling because I'm a track coach, but I know nothing about hurdling. So I thought this would be a great class. In fact, it was called Intro to Hurdling. And uh, he stood up there, this college coach, and talked about the athletes that he will get from high school. And because many of their high school coaches don't know anything about hurdling, they learn improper techniques. And he taught the, the proper way to hurdle. And I thought, I don't know that I've ever seen a high schooler hurdle that way before and he said talks about these athletes that come in he had the the girl from up from Spain that came to Augustana College she was the national champion for Spain in the hurdles and he was he talked about how nervous he was because here she was and he had to reteach her how to run the hurdles because she wasn't doing it right and he said we had to start from the basics and she would get frustrated and angry and not understand why do we got to go back to the beginning and uh, she actually got worse her first race out she was actually slower than she had been in Spain so he's thinking hmm but as she stuck with it and as she did what he trained her and taught her to do she actually began to get faster than she had been before she came. That's the concept that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us. You know, we have a, a way of doing things in our, our human nature and our culture, and they're not God's way. And we need to have our minds completely renewed or altered to, to go with what God's way of thinking is. And sometimes, in some ways, we gotta go all the way back to the beginning. And it's hard, and it's frustrating, and it seems like we're taking steps backwards, but if we'll stay with God's word, it will stay faithful and true. It may not prove itself in your 30 second microwave way, but it will prove itself in the end. So let's look at these tips. Uh, we'll cover them, you know, as quickly as we can. But here he says at the beginning, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. The word love here is the word agape. We've talked about it. We talked about it last week when we talked about God has given each of us a grace, a gift. And as we use that gift to serve others, we're putting into action the love of God. That's the word agape. It's a love that is action. It's not a feeling. Okay? It's an action. First John chapter 3 says, By this we know, Agape, that he laid down, Jesus, his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, 
God's agape is not in him. Let's not agape in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, so Paul says don't just pretend to agape people. Don't just do it because the word says that you gotta do it. Your motivation has to be right. Your way of thinking has to completely change. I can't just say, okay, God's word said I have to love, so I'm gonna do this because I'm supposed to do it. That kind of thinking can't work. If God's word tells me I need to love people, and as a human, I'm like, I don't wanna love people, I wanna love myself, I wanna do what's best for me. I don't wanna serve others, I want me to be served. I need a whole change of thought here. So, Lord, I need you to help me. I don't want to just pretend to do this. I really want to do it. I want to do it from a heart that's genuine and honest and true. That's the type of transformation of thinking that we need. And then he says in verse 10, love each other with genuine affection. That's the word phileo, brotherly affection. This is the feeling type of love. So he says, don't just pretend to agape people, love them in action, do it for genuineness. And then he says, love them with genuine affection also. Can I ask a question? How? I mean, if I don't have genuine affection for you, how do I love you with genuine affection? Apparently, we can lead our affections. Let that think in for just a second. Your feelings don't just come out of the blue. I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes our bodies are, are uh, out of whack and there's physical things that cause our emotions. But generally, our feelings and emotions are led by our thoughts. You didn't fall out of love with your spouse. You just started focusing on the critical negative things instead of the good positive things. Okay? So you led your emotions there. And what Paul is saying is if you're going to love each other with, kind, with brotherly affection, you can't be critical and negative of each other. You can't, you've got to lead your emotions, if you will, or your feelings. You can ask the Lord, God, give me a genuine affection for them, but don't just wait for it to come out of heaven like a lightning bolt. Start leading your affections down that road. And you and the Spirit working together, we're going to have genuine affection one for another. That's what Paul says. Then he says, take delight in honoring each other. Literally, this translation means outdo one another in showing honor. Now, in our competitive world where we like to outdo each other, you know, you tell a story, I'll tell a better one. You know, you, you give a sarcastic jab, I'll give a better one. I mean, you tell, uh, you play again, I'll, do, I'll be better. The Bible says if you want to outdo each other, outdo each other in showing honor. Look at how the Apostle Paul is he's telling us to go overboard with honor, but again, do it with genuineness. Don't do it just because you're told to do it. Don't do it in a phony way, but do it in a genuine way. Honor others above yourself. I mean, after all, Christ honored us when he took our place on the cross. He saw the value in us when there was no value there. And he gave himself for us. That's what we're called to do for one another. So he says, love each other, but don't just pretend to do it. Do it genuinely. Have genuine affection for each other. Take delight in honoring each other. And in the middle of all this, he says, hate what is wrong. Cling to what is good. Now, out of context, let's look at that for just a second. 
the word hate what is evil means to abhor. It's a strong word. It's a violent word. Abhor what is evil. In Jude verse 23, it says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Let me tell you something about evil and about sin. It's a slippery slope. Okay? There are a number of Christians in our society today that think sin is negotiable. How did we get there? Well, sin is a slippery slope. We have been entertained by it, mostly. We watch movies that are filled with immorality and evil, and we've allowed that into our lives. Our culture, by and large, has accepted it, and they've promoted it and talked about it and shared it. They've bombarded us with the images and the messages of it. We have allowed it into our lives, at least to a little point, because we want our lives to be comfortable and fun here on this earth. And now we begin to question whether or not it's even valid. That's the slippery slope of sin. Paul says, don't babysit evil, abhor it. And not just stand up and point out to everybody else the evil in their lives, but abhor it in your life. When you see sin crouching at the door, scream. Shut the door. That's what God told Cain all the way back in Genesis. Cain and Abel, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. That's truth in that. And then he says, cling to what is good. Our lives should be marked by what is good. We should be holding tightly to what is good. Now, out of context, that's true. That's a biblical statement. That's a biblical message. It's absolutely true. But the problem is it's in a sandwich. In verse 9, he says, look at, let me find it here. Love others, really love them. And in verse 10, he says, love them with genuine affection and outdo each other in showing honor. And sandwiched between those two statements is, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So he's not just talking about evil in that sense, he's talking about in our relationships. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Abhor what is evil but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Cling to what is good. So in regards to our relationships in the body of Christ, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's what he's saying. It's, I mean, it's still true that our lives should be marked by what is good and we should hate what is evil, but he's talking specifically in in relation to our relationships with others. Then look at verse 11. Don't be lazy. In fact, he uses the word that we're, not, we're never supposed to say never. Never say never. Never say always. It's not true, usually. But Paul says never be lazy. Work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Can you say amen? amen. Literally, this phrase means do not be slothful or lazy in your zeal. Don't hesitate in your eagerness would be another way to translate it. Be fervent in your spirit is what the the Greek word says. Be fervent in your spirit. Literally, boil over in your spirit. Turn up the flame of your life so that you boil over in the spirit, so that you're not lazy, so that you're always eager. Don't hesitate. Serve the Lord eagerly, enthusiastically. Whoa, Pastor Tom. Is Paul talking about emotionalism? No. 
But again, what Paul is showing us is enthusiasm is a personal responsibility. You can either choose to be enthusiastic about the Lord's work or you can choose not to be. And you're gonna lead yourself. It's not up to my spouse, it's not up to my kids, it's not up to my pastor, it's not up to my deacon, it's not up to my teacher, it's not up to the worship leader. It's up to me to be enthusiastic about the Lord's work. It's not up to this person up here for me to be eager or enthusiastic about worshiping the Lord. It's me, it's a personal responsibility. In our culture, it's all about somebody else for, for doing it. Somebody else is at, at, at blame or at fault. But the word of God says, it's my personal choice. Look at Psalm 42. David says, day and night, I, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy, giving thanks amid the sounds of great celebration. Surely, Paul would understand that in this instance, You don't have to be enthusiastic about the Lord. But look at what this man after God's heart says next. Why am I so discouraged? Well, because your enemies continually taunt you, saying, where's this God of yours? Your heart is breaking. Oh, you weren't really asking. You were talking to yourself. Why am I so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Even in the midst of distressing circumstances, David says, my hope is not in my circumstance. My hope is not in how I'm feeling today. My hope is not in what emotion I'm experiencing at this moment. My hope is in God. And so I can praise him, serve him enthusiastically. It may not be with strong emotion, but it will be with enthusiasm. And if we are not serving him with enthusiasm, I don't think we've met him. Because he's worthy of enthusiasm. And I've watched all of us be enthusiastic about something. So I know it's in there. Sometimes it just takes longer to come out for some of us. But I love what David says. I remember how it used to be. We need to stop remembering how it used to be and just embrace what is right now, the God of right now. I mean, I remember when life was was easy before I had teenagers. I remember how life was easy when we first got married. I remember how life was easy before I got this promotion. I remember, I remember, remember, remember. He's the God of right now. And you can be enthusiastic and eager in your service of him now. Or you can keep remembering and wonder why you're so discouraged. Paul says, don't be lazy, never be lazy. Always be eager, anticipating, enthusiastic in serving the Lord. And maybe this is the key in verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. That word rejoice means to enjoy a state of happiness or well-being. It's a command too. Enjoy, enjoy a state of well-being. <laughs> okay. But he doesn't just say that. He says rejoice in our confident 
hope. So my happiness, my well-being is grounded not in my circumstance, in my confident hope. Not what I feel right now, but what is ahead of me. And so that's where my well-being comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Paul ties it together in 1 Corinthians 15. He ties it together in Romans chapter 12. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. That's how you can do it. We don't have to deny our circumstance. We don't have to pretend that nothing's happening. We don't have to pretend that we're not in the midst of turmoil or trouble. In fact, we're gonna get to trouble in just a minute, so hang on. Oh, in fact, we're already there. That's his next statement. (laughs) Here we are. Be patient in trouble. That word patient is the word for steady. Be steady in trouble. Be steady in trouble. Keep on praying. Trouble? See, we've been brainwashed by the American version of Christianity that trouble is not going to come if you're just a good Christian. If you're just a strong believer and have enough faith, you're not gonna have trouble. But Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. So whoever's preaching that we're not going to have trouble is disagreeing with the Son of God. And I won't, because he knows more than me. I am going to have trouble, but in the midst of trouble, be steady. What did Jesus say in John 16? Why? Because I give you peace. I give you peace in the midst of your trouble. I give it to you. Receive it. It it doesn't say you're going to have peace. I'm going to give you peace. And some of us don't want his peace in the midst of our trouble. We want our trouble. We want to talk about our trouble. We want to tell everyone about our trouble. Trouble, 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 trouble. And we wonder why our emotions aren't peaceful. Because we're leading them. Lead them to be steady. You know, we got to work at this. I I mean, think about it as, you know, if you've ever taken your child to swimming lessons and they start in the shallow end and then they, you know, they start swimming and they're they're all like, I can swim. And if you took them and threw them in the deep end, (laughs) we would find out they can't swim. Uh, But we won't do that because we're good parents and we love them. Although some parents say that's how I taught my kids to swim. They figure it out. Um, Whatever parenting style you are, I guess, whatever. But here's the thing. The, the deep end doesn't reveal or doesn't say, doesn't cause you to not be able to swim. It just reveals that you couldn't swim. So when troubles come and we say it causes us to act out of character, it's like the deep end of the pool. It's just showing that we never really could swim in the first place. And the only way we would know that or come to the realization is for God to go boom and push us into the deep end. You know what maturity is like? You know, we get pushed into the deep end. And if we're a swimmer, we don't flail about. I mean, we may flail about for a little bit because we're, we're shocked that we got pushed into the deep end. But then we realize, I know how to swim. And we start swimming or we start treading water. That's maturity in Christ. We may still get blindsided by these troubles or these problems that come. You know, I wasn't expecting that email, that doctor's report. I wasn't expecting to lose my job. I wasn't expecting to get blindsided or stabbed in the back. I wasn't expected. I mean, these these troubles, I didn't expect it. And so we flail for a minute, but Paul says, be steady. Be at peace. 
Maturity is the distance or the time it takes us to stop flailing and realize God's got this. I know how to swim. Now, we may have some anxiety, but we're not flailing about in the pool anymore. We're, we're like, God, I can be steady. Because troubles come. They still blindside us. I don't know why, because Jesus clearly said we were going to have them. In fact, look what he's, James says. Is any, in, any of you tr- in trouble? I bet if I, if I literally asked that question today, almost every hand in this place would go up. We're all in trouble it's in some form or another. Some of our trouble is self-imposed trouble. Some of it is trouble that comes to us from outside sources. Some of it is, is trouble and we, it's out of our control completely, but we're in trouble. And the, the prescription for trouble is let them pray. <laughs> oh, pastor, pastor, pastor. You're such a simpleton. I mean, I know the Bible says that, but it really doesn't mean that. I mean, if you're in trouble, go, you got to get some help. You gotta get some counseling. You gotta get some, some assistance. You got, and all of those things are great. I recommend people to go see counselors. I recommend people to get assistance financially if they need it for a time being. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having other humans, but the problem is we want the other humans to be God for us. I'm in trouble, tell me what to do. Well, have you prayed? Well, yeah, but tell me what to do. Have you prayed? but I'm not hearing. It doesn't say just pray once. It says pray. Because here's the thing. God's either going to get you out of trouble or he's going to lead you through trouble. And we have come to a place as a society where we want everyone else to fix us. And God says, come to me. The word today that says come to me is the heart of God. Come to me. I'm going to help you. I may not help you overnight. I may not help you in the next 30 seconds, but I'm gonna give you peace. We're gonna walk, stop flailing. We're gonna walk through this together. In fact, when the lifeguard jumps in the pool, if you're still flailing, they'll hit you <laughs> to make you stop because you're gonna drown both of you. Now, luckily, God's not gonna hit us, although maybe sometimes he should, but he's gonna say, stop flailing, Okay? We're going to go through this thing together. Oh, what's he say next? Help those in need be eager to practice hospitality. He actually says God's people, when God's people are in need. Now, the scripture teaches us in Galatians 6, as you have an opportunity, do good to all people, especially those who are believers. So practice hospitality. Invite, be eager to have people in your home. Be eager to, to sit down and visit with people. Be eager to practice hospitality. And later on, he tells us to have hospitality even towards our neighbor or our enemies. So even though here he says believers, he's not just saying believers only. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Again, emphasizing our connection to the body of Christ. He does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part's honored, every part is honored with it. All of us together ought to be connected. When one person feels it, we should all feel it. Whether their trouble is self-inflicted or not, if they're in trouble, we're in trouble. That's the body of Christ. And I see that in the scriptures over and over again, but in practice in the church in America, it's very rare. It's very rare. I mean, we may have a few clicks or a few 
close people in the body of Christ, but as a body of Christ, this isn't the type of connection that we've got. But we're not throwing up our hands and saying, oh, let's just scrap the church. We're just saying, how do we get there? Let's be the first one if there's no other ones. But there are some good ones out there, trust me. Live in harmony with each other is what Paul says next in verse 16. Harmony, if you don't know music, is not unison. Okay, so he doesn't mean every, everything that that other person is, you have to be, you have to copy each other. No, you're gonna have differences. We talked about those last week. We're gonna have different graces. Learn to make those graces sound good together. Harmony, that's what harmony is. Two or more notes that sound good together. How do I take your grace and my grace and make them sound good together? It's not just gonna be like easy. Do you ever learn to play the piano? Some of you are natural, so you don't get this. But for those of us, I mean, I have tried like three times in my life to learn piano, and I'm terrible. And I look at people like Pastor John who was picking it up, and I'm like, I don't like you. Because they just pick it up, and it's like, it's so hard for me. But even people that pick it up easy have to practice. Every time I come in here, he's sitting at the piano again. I'm like, what are you doing? I want to play with worship team. So... I want to play with worship team, so I'm just sitting in my office at my computer praying for God to give me the ability to play piano. No, he's got to practice, okay? To make those notes sound good, and we want them to sound good when he's up here, now he's going to be all nervous when he gets up here. You got to practice. So why do we think <coughs> that I'm going to take these graces and these graces, and they're just going to naturally sound good together? Sometimes you got to work at it. Hard work, work hard. Is, is not, should not be foreign in the body of Christ. And sometimes we look at another denomination or another church and we write it off completely and there's something we could gain from them, something we could learn from them. Because look what he says, don't be proud, too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So in other words, it's not who your close friends are at church, it's who you're not associating with. Don't be too proud to associate with everybody with people that you think maybe you shouldn't associate with in the body of Christ or I don't want to. Don't think you know it all. Amen. We all do. We all think that we're, our opinion is the right one. But Paul says, don't think you know it all. Here's the thing. What I have found in my life is there are some things that God is only going to reveal to me through other people. And I have a phrase written in one of my Bibles that I wrote down a long time ago in Bible school where someone said this phrase, God will often give you what you need in a package you do not want. And I have found that to be true. And so, if I dismiss this denomination because I don't agree with this thing that they do, or this one because they don't, or this person, or that person, I am missing out on the grace of God. And I'm a know-it-all because I'm saying, I don't need you. I just need me and God. And I get that, that's true, but that God told me he wanted me to be connected with other people on the earth. In fact, that's how the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. And so before we're quick to dismiss everyone, let's look at Ephesians chapter four. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. In other words, 
I don't grow to my maximum potential if I dismiss this one or that one. So the Apostle Paul says all of this. Look at, I mean, so many driving tips. This is going to make our life so much better. Verse 21, he says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Remember, this, this thing that he's unpacking here in Romans chapter 12 is all about a transformed life. So basically, everything that he says is flying in the face of my human nature or my culture. It's a complete reversal, if you will. He comes to verse 21. It's almost like a summary of everything that he said in the entire chapter, but especially of these, first, these verses right in front of it. He's basically said, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What has he said? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. What does our culture say? If someone persecutes you, curse them. Isn't that what's happening? I mean, isn't that what we're seeing everywhere with all of the racial tension? I mean, we're not just trying to, to bring this thing to, to light. We're cursing those who are actually persecuting. And the Bible says, bless them. Because if you try to take evil, cursing, and overcome evil, all you do is strengthen the evil. You want to overcome evil, you have to use good. I mean, that doesn't mean we don't get to hold people accountable. It doesn't mean that we don't get to, to see crime be punished. Absolutely. But we do it with the right attitude and heart. And we bless, we pray for God to bless. That's what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter five, so that we're acting like our Father who gives sunlight to both the evil and good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, there are some farmers that pray for rain and I look at them and think, man, they are such righteous people. And then there are other farmers that get all kinds of rain and they're living like whatever. I mean, obviously God sends the rain on the just and the unjust and so we need to be perfect just like him. Paul says, do everything you can to live in peace with everyone. I mean, you know, that's gonna take work. Especially in a society where everybody gets offended by everything. It's going to take effort on my part to do what I can. I mean, it's not going to say, it doesn't say you will live at peace with everyone, but do everything you can. At the end of the day, when you look in the mirror, you can say, you know what, I did everything I could to live in peace with them. I mean, if you can honestly say that, then put your head on your pillow and go to rest. But if not, then repent and say, Lord, show me how to do something to live at peace. Sometimes peace requires confrontation. Sometimes peace requires that I lay down my rights. We're gonna talk about that next week in Romans chapter 14. Sometimes I need to be careful how I say it. Speaking the truth in love, keeping my conversation seasoned with grace. But at the end of the day, Paul says, never take revenge. Never take revenge. And he references these two scriptures from the Old Testament where the Lord says, all the way back in Deuteronomy 32, I am gonna repay. Don't you take revenge. Don't you take matters into your own hands and try to, to get back what you, I'll repay them. You Stop flailing. There you go, you're in the deep end again. Trying to get back, trying to stand your ground, trying to keep from anyone from taking from you. I would so much rather have him watch my back than me try to watch my own. Because I'm gonna mess up. Now, I know that's hard. Trust me, I, have, I flail in the deep end just like everyone else. And sometimes I flail too long. 
Proverbs 22:5, if your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink and you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, I know you think I'm gonna kill them with kindness and I'm gonna heap burning coals on their head. I'm gonna be kind to them and make them feel miserable. In essence, that's not what's being said here. Um, in the Bible days, you had to keep a fire going in your house. They didn't have matches. So if the fire went out, it was very difficult to get the fire restarted. And so generally, you would go to your neighbor's house and get coals to start your fire. So you're giving them the coals that they would carry in the basket on their head. That's just how they carried it. You are giving them coals to relight their fire. So if someone is evil to you, chances are the fire in their lives has either gone out or never been started. And if you give them goodness, if you overcome evil with good, you are relighting or at least opening the door for the Lord to light the fire in their lives. But if you are mean to your enemy, nothing is getting relit. You say, well, that's hard. Welcome to the kingdom. I don't know who says that serving Jesus is a crutch or an easy thing, but if you really look at serving Jesus, it's not. It's very difficult, and it flies in the face of everything my culture and myself once. But Jesus said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So, our driving tips. There's no way for us to know what is good apart from God. But God has clearly showed us that we live from what proceeds from his mouth. Maturing in Christ isn't getting to the place where I no longer need him. Maturing in Christ is getting to the point where I recognize how desperately I need him. I mean, when we're in trouble, we cry out to the Lord like crazy. And when things are going well, we stop. That's not maturity. That's immaturity. You put a kid in trouble, what are they? Mom! I mean, it, it, it doesn't take a lot of sense to do that. It doesn't take a lot of maturity. Maturity in Christ is when we keep recognizing I need him even when everything is good. Because if I'm not in trouble now, trouble's coming. And I need him in the good times just as much as I need him in the bad times. So we've come to him. We've repented of our sin, our direction. We're, we're gonna live out this new life and we gotta start over. We gotta start over. I gotta figure out how to live. Even if you were raised in church like me, we gotta start over on this thing. I gotta learn how to live from the ground up. And Paul says, here, this will get you started. <laughs> Read through this chapter again. This week, Romans 12, 13, and 14. Continue to, to read through this. We need to get this into us so it transforms how we live out our lives. Next week, we're gonna look at Romans chapter 14, especially. Um, but his tips to us this week were love, agape and phileo. Be genuine in it. Be connected with each other. Don't, don't be hesitating or lazy. Take the initiative. Take the initiative to be connected with other believers. You know, uh, take the initiative to be connected with other believers. I just don't have any good friendships. Invite someone for coffee, but that's just not who I am. Thank God you're being created new in Christ Jesus. So you can take the initiative to do it. 
I mean, we, we pray, Lord, please send me a friend. Please send me a, someone that I can talk to and pray with and look for one. I mean, pray for it, but set up a coffee time and give the Lord a chance to answer that prayer request. Don't just wait for the Lord to bring someone to ask you for coffee. You do it. You take the initiative to make that connection in the body of Christ. Honor one another above yourselves. Outdo one another in honoring. Serve the Lord with zeal, with fervor, with enthusiasm. Again, with eagerness, looking for the opportunity to serve the Lord. Not just waiting for opportunities to come, but looking for them. Being steady in trouble, trusting in prayer, and overcoming evil with good. The kingdom of God is an upside-down, inside-out kingdom. It goes against everything that is natural to us. Let's dig in and let's look for his driving tips so that we don't miss the signs that he's putting in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word. It is truly a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Holy Spirit, train us to use your word supernaturally. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Help us to take those weapons and use them in our daily lives. Forgive us. Forgive us for being so wrapped up in our own circumstance. Forgive us for flailing in the deep end of the pool and not trusting in your word, for not running to you in prayer in the midst of our, our trouble and trusting that, that you are aware of it before it came and you've got a plan for it even right now. Teach us to live this type of life. Father, today as we have taken your driving exam, there's areas that we've missed we've fallen short maybe some of us today would have our license revoked God today we ask for grace we ask for your help God we see the signs we see the standard that you have set and we know there's no possible way we can do this without your help Holy Spirit give us the grace to apply these things to our lives. In the area of relationships, we need your help. We want our love to be genuine. We want our agape to be genuine. We want it to be in action, not just in word. But God, we don't want it to be just something we do as robots. We want a genuine affection for one another. Forgive us for allowing unwholesome things to come out of our mouth. Forgive us for dwelling on unwholesome thoughts and leading our emotions in that direction. God, help us to speak what is true and honorable. Help us to be a body that outdoes one another in showing honor to each other. That the same way you've treated us, we treat each other. Father, help us to be enthusiastic about serving you, not lacking in zeal, not hesitating or being lazy, but anticipating that you're gonna work, that you wanna work, that you are working. Help us to be looking for it. Help us to be steady in that trouble. Not to, God, flail about in the midst of that trouble. But when we get blindsided, when we get knocked into that deep end of the pool, whatever it is, God, help us to be at peace in the midst of it. 
Holy Spirit, above all, help us to overcome evil with good. Help us to see your kingdom change our lives completely so that our reactions and our emotions and our thoughts begin to line up more with your word than our old nature. Transform us as we commit ourselves to following you. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.